ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Thank you, and welcome to the very first episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. This week, we join the Voyager crew as they kick off with their pilot episode, Caretaker. Caretaker starts off by reminding us that it's the 90s with a really well-put-together crawl. By well-put-together, I mean somebody got really excited about their Windows 95 machine and the great new fonts and graphics they could splash across the screen. Well, this tie is pretty important. It explains who the Maquis are. And if you're just joining the world of Star Trek, it's pretty important to have this context. The Maquis are essentially a terrorist organization rebelling against the treaty that Starfleet signed with Cardassia. They're fighting, trying to get back their planets and what they think are their homeland. We get to see Golivek of the Vatar chasing the Maquis crew. Navek ties us directly to the next generation in Journey's End and Deep Space Nine episode Tribunal, one of many O'Brien episodes that we will all get to experience together. We meet the leader of the Maquis crew, and immediately he shows us what kind of a leader he's going to be. Chakotay is very forceful. Be creative. How am I supposed to be creative with a 39-year-old rebuilt engine? I need more power if we're going to make it to the Badlands. Throw the last photons at them, and then give me the power from the torpedo system. Acknowledged. That's where I'm going. Crisis situation comes up, and all Chakotay is doing is spouting off orders telling people what to do. They head into the Badlands, disable the Vitar, a displacement wave comes from behind, hits them, and opening credits. We come back in, and we go into a penal colony in New Zealand. This is where we meet Tom Paris and Catherine Janeway. Janeway is going to be our captain. She's going to be the one we're talking about a lot, especially through this episode. Janeway's trying really hard to recruit Tom Paris for this mission that's coming up. They're going to go after that Maquis ship. This is where we get our first view into how Janeway's going to lead. She tries to make a personal connection with Tom Paris through the experience that she had with his dad. She talks about the Orion's expedition when she was his science officer. A couple important things there. One, she knows his dad, trying to connect on a personal level. As leaders, that's really important to do. Even in a business situation, sales or something else, we're going to find crisis situations. Those times when we need someone to go above and beyond what's normally demanded by the job. As a Starfleet captain, Janeway knows this is going to happen a lot on Voyager and probably specifically in this mission. So what she does is she finds a connection point with Tom. Something that they can have in common even though they don't know each other at all. We'll see this pay off time and again through the series, but we really see it pay off right away. Janeway starts laying down a lot of groundwork, not just about this episode, but really about the series in general, but we're really going to be seeing over the next season of Voyager. 
So she explains that her security officer is on this Maquis ship. He's a he's a spy doing kind of the, the double agent thing right now. And also we learned in here that Chakotay is a former Starfleet officer. Of course, Tom Paris and Chakotay have a history that goes back to both of their time in Starfleet. At the end, Janeway ends up recruiting Tom, basically tells him that she's going to try and help him get out of this penal colony. We see Tom Paris on a shuttle pod with a Beta Z. Turns out her name is Stotty, and they are heading to Deep Space Nine. I'm going to assume that this is in an attempt to make sure we're tied to other Star Trek. People understand, hey, this is Voyager and we're part of everything. We got the little call back to Next Generation with the uh, Cardassian at the beginning, and now we get to see Deep Space Nine. Also, in what I can only assume is an intentional choice by the writers here, we are going to further show you what a dirtbag Tom Paris is. Spoiler alert, by the way, he's kind of a kind of a dirtbag. So Stotty says to him right here, Do you always fly at women at warp speed, Mr. Paris? Only when they're in visual range. If you're cringing at that, you better get ready. It does, uh, it gets a whole lot worse before it gets any better. We get some pretty good exposition here as Stadi talks about Voyager and what makes it different from other Starfleet vessels we've seen in the past. Specifically, this thing's got bioneural circuitry, something we haven't heard of before, and this will become a pretty big deal as the series continues. And in what might be one of the biggest and best moments of this entire episode, we get a full screen close-up of everyone's favorite customer, especially Quark's, Morn. Boom! There he is. And right to there in this really fun scene where Quark is trying to sell some stuff to Harry Kim. What a great way to introduce Harry Kim. Wet behind the ears, never gone out on a starship before, his first big mission ever. And who better to try and take advantage of that than Quark? And a little call out to all of our Star Trek Online players out there. A nice mention of Lobi Crystals on here. Paris steps in just at the last minute to save Kim as he starts having to eat his own words as Quark calls him on his absolutely blatant racism. We were warned about Ferengi at the Academy. Real classy, Kim. Real classy. We find ourselves on Voyager for the first time. The very first scene is in sickbay and we meet our chief medical officer. CMO, if anything here, proves that much of the cast came from the daytime soap pool and... Surprise, surprise. Tom Paris has a history with this guy as well. Seems going to be an ongoing theme with Tom Paris, I think. Our resident bad boy, I guess. We head into Janeway's ready room, and she's talking to her fiancé, Mark. And there's something about Janeway's personality we really see here. She's warm. She's friendly. You can tell that she's in love with Mark. Like, there's a real connection here. Not that much chemistry, but, I mean, she's talking to a blank screen in reality, so I'm not sure what else you could anticipate, but she knows exactly what she wants and exactly how she wants things done. Mark's talking about her dog, and Janeway's just telling him exactly what to do, where to go, the exact order of things to happen. This is really key. This isn't a leadership quality everyone has, and it's not necessarily one that will work for everyone, but for Janeway, we're going to see it time and again as we continue with her through the series. She signs off, and Paris and Kim come in to meet her, and it's it's incredible to watch what she does here. Okay, I'm going to get my bias out there right now. Very beginning of this podcast, the very first episode. I'm going to kind of put it out there. I, 
I really feel like Janeway is one of the best captains, if not the best captain in Star Trek. She's very dynamic. She's got a lot of aspects to how she leads, and she does it in different ways. She's very situational. And here is a fantastic example. Kim introduces himself to Janeway, and understandably, he's really nervous. But Janeway immediately puts him at ease, but also maintains formality. Kind of lays the rules out, but in a cool way that he can relate to. She says, uh, ma'am will do in a crunch, but I prefer captain. Head out to the bridge. We meet the, uh, the first officer, Lieutenant Commander Cabot, and then Voyager heads off to the Badlands. We follow Tom into the mess hall, where he and Ensign Kim meet up and have one of their first bonding moments. We learn a little bit more about Tom Paris, his past, and why he seems to have history with so many people. We also see there's a lot more to him than just being this bad boy that Janeway had to bring on to try and catch the Maquis. Integrity means a lot to this guy. In fact, he's really in that penal colony because he took straight-up accountability for his actions. We cut to the bridge, and the displacement wave that we saw earlier is now coming after Voyager. Ensign Kim lets everybody know people are bracing for impact. Well, most, most everybody. The, uh, the XO, in his infinite wisdom, Lieutenant Commander Abbott, gets up. He gets a running start, dives right out in the middle of the bridge, and that's when the impact happens. Everything goes to white. We come right back in, and it's just like all hell has broken loose. There's fires. There's explosions. The bridge is in complete disarray. Janeway comes over and she sees that Abbott is dead. So is Stottie. This is really serious stuff. She immediately, this is, this is awesome. This is one of those moments I feel that really defines Janeway as a captain and as a leader. She immediately gets up and gets right to the point. She listens to the crew. She asks them questions. She assesses the situation and immediately issues commands. In the face of complete and utter tragedy, she gets intense but she maintains control. Her emotions are in check. People are listening to her. She's oozing confidence. She seems to know exactly what to do and what information is important. We see some space station thing out there, and Ensign Kim reports that we are over 70,000 light years from where we were. We're on the other side of the galaxy. Ladies and gentlemen, there's the plot for Star Trek Voyager. What happens when you take a starship? Throw it on the other side of the galaxy? Well, let's find out. As the confusion continues, reports keep coming in. Turns out, Chief Engineer is also dead. Janeway really allows her crew on the bridge to do their jobs. She doesn't get into the weeds up on the bridge. She trusts her people to do what they need to do. She heads down to engineering, and here, here's where she gets into the weeds. Once again, this is a leadership tactic that may not work for everyone. This just happens to be a situation where Janeway knows quite a bit about engineering. With the chief engineer dead, it is complete pandemonium down in engineering. Immediate problem solving needs to happen. Turns out that the most critical issue right now is a warp core breach. And had Janeway not got down to engineering, not taken control, well, this entire series would be over in just 23 minutes. However, she's able to get in there, get them onto a problem-solving path, and then again allows the experts to do their jobs. What's key here is Janeway inserts herself into the crisis situations, the areas that need immediate attention and help. 
She then asks questions that lead the experts to be able to go in and do the work that's going to save the ship. She's not the one doing the work. She's allowing the people that know how to do it, the people that are smarter than her in these areas, to do it. She is intentionally establishing leadership for what is left of the crew. They've lost the first officer. They've lost the chief engineer. And here we find out they've also lost the chief medical officer and the nurse. They need to know there's someone who's got their backs and is going to be there for them when things potentially get even worse than they are. We meet the emergency medical hologram, the EMH, for the uh, for the very first time, someone we're going to get to know very well. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. He immediately says that a replacement doctor must be ordered immediately. And that's when the array starts to scan Voyager and people start disappearing. EMH suddenly looks around and confirms there is no one left on Voyager. We find the Voyager crew and turns out, hey, they are in Kansas. Grandma comes out of a house with lemonade and sugar cookies. Janeway does a scan, confirms that everyone is there and that they're inside of the array. And hey, everything should be fine, right? I mean, I can't think of anything that would make me more comfortable than a bunch of farm hospitality and a dude with a banjo. They get right to work. Harry Kim and Paris start searching around for a holographic generator or or something to explain what's going on here. They end up finding a barn, and Kim detects a single life form that is everywhere. Nothing disturbing about that at all. Hey, it's all fine, right? We're on a farm, in a single life form, and there's a dude over here playing a banjo. Did 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 I mention the banjo, by the way? Well, anyway, they end up scanning and they find a bunch of human life forms and a Vulcan life form as well. At this point, White Socks and Pump Girl comes around and she just snarls, I'm not ready for you yet! Paris calls Janeway and White Socks Girl straight up knocks him out. Now here's another leadership moment right here. Janeway's walking around, she's scanning, they're trying to answer the question of where they are and what happened to them. But the second that Paris calls, she drops everything and responds to his call. She rushes to the barn where the hologram has been kind of turned off and this reveals the entire Maquis crew. They're passed out. They've got tubes sticking into them. And to further the nightmare that we've been living the whole time, the farm crew does pretty much exactly what we thought it was going to do the whole time and comes running in with pitchforks and torches. And the next thing we know, Everyone's lying down in probably the most uncomfortable position possible. We see Janeway getting stabbed with a tube and hear Ensign Kim screaming like a little four-year-old kid. Seconds later, everyone wakes up again on Voyager, apparently three days later. Paris finds that Kim isn't on board. The rest of the crew are, just Ensign Kim is missing. So Janeway hails Chakotay. Turns out, the whole crew is on uh, on their ship, except Belana Torres. Seems both crews have basically the same problem, so Janeway proposes that they work together on this. Chakotay, the Vulcan, and some random guy beam over, and Janeway immediately identifies Tuvok 
the Vulcan that came over with them and says that he's Voyager's chief of security. Chakotay and Paris immediately have words, and then Janeway cuts him off. She defends Paris as a member of her crew. Remember back at the beginning of this when we talked about that personal connection that Janeway made with Tom? See, that's not just about Tom Paris doing things and coming along for Janeway or to help with the mission of Voyager. It's a two-way street. That personal connection doesn't end. Janeway has invested in Paris as a member of her crew, and right now he's being threatened, and Janeway steps in as a leader in this moment and stands up for her crew person. Janeway starts divvying out the assignments. Chakotay and Janeway are going to head across to the array, look for Torres and Kim, while Tubok needs to learn everything he can about the array. Back to the farm, Paris comes along. He didn't want to see anything bad happen to his buddy, so he, he went along with the crew. And he's got a pretty sweet-looking phaser rifle. They can't find Ensign Kim or Torres anywhere, but the banjo guy is there. Well, at this point, banjo guy actually does us a great service, and he starts really opening up the door on what's going on here. He's really annoyed that they came back over. He keeps saying things like, you don't have what I need. There's just not enough time left. He explains that he and his partner explore the galaxy in ways that we just can't understand. Sending the Voyager crew back to the Alpha Quadrant is apparently super complicated and something he doesn't have enough time for. He gets more annoyed, and then he sends Chakotay, Paris, and Janeway straight back over to Voyager. Meanwhile, we cut to the X-Files as Ensign Kim wakes up in a sterile room, staring at his Disney Channel parents. Looks at his arm, looks at his chest, he's got all this weird stuff growing out of him. Torres is there also, she's got the weird stuff as well. Difference is, while Kim's looking at himself all like, oh my gosh, what's all this? Torres decides to uh, beat down the Disney dad, and uh, we kind of go out as they stand around looking super confused. Back up on Voyager, Tuvok has learned that the Array is sending these energy pulses to the fifth planet in the system. It's pretty sure that that's where they're going to find Torres and Ensign Kim. Janeway heads into a ready room. Tuvok follows. And this is a pretty awesome moment where we see what a leader has to do behind the scenes. Can you imagine? Imagine just for a minute the, the stress and the pressure that Janeway has to be under right now. 70,000 light years away from, from home, from where they were. The entire crew depending on her. She's got Harry Kim missing. The Maquis, their partner, has Torres missing. And I mean, just a complete nightmare. What happens behind the scenes? This is an awesome, awesome moment where we get to see. She really confides in Tuvok. She talks about how she needs to take more time to get to know the crew. Shares her feelings on, on, on the loss that everyone has experienced. This is a really awesome moment where it shows the importance of having a coach and a confidant when you're a leader. Again, this transcends industry. It doesn't matter if you're a supervisor on a shift at Wendy's or if you're the CEO of some multinational Fortune 50 company. You have to make tough decisions as a leader. And to have that person that you can talk to, you can confide in, you can ask advice of, run scenarios by, absolutely invaluable. And this was a really cool moment where they showed how Janeway utilizes Tuvok Somebody they established, too, that she's got a really good personal relationship with. She spoke to Tuvok's family before they left. So she's got a connection to his wife, to his kids. Uh, you know, and so she's able to connect to him in a way that, that matters 
And so running this stuff by him really kind of helps boost her confidence, helps her be the leader that Voyager needs. And here's where the series, well, takes a turn. They find a ship, they hail it, and the super aggressive junk dealer guy is delighted to know them. This is when we get to meet Neelix. Neelix, some think he's great. Others have called him the Jar Jar Binks of Star Trek. And some of us that uh, fall somewhere in between. Well, this is that great moment that we get introduced to him. Whoever you are, I found this way so first. We're not interested in this debris, Mr. Neelix. So Neelix fills in quite a few blanks for us on this. We find out that Voyager's not the first ship that's been brought here from across the galaxy. We find out the life form that they've been dealing with, the uh, the banjo dude on the array that he's known as the caretaker. And we know that the caretaker has kidnapped members of various crews, including Voyager and the Maquis crew, and that he sends them to the fifth planet with this species called the Ocampa. So now, Neelix gets down to business. He's a junk dealer, right? So he wants his piece, and apparently the one thing, the big currency that's going to keep things going here is water. They come to terms. Neelix beams over. It's kind of an awkward scene where he and Tuvok meet each other for the first time. Now, I mean, this was actually a pretty well-done scene. Neelix was not really full-on Neelix at this point. It's kind of cool. He's freaking out about the technology. It really sets the bar that Voyager technologically is not something that this part of the galaxy is used to seeing. And beyond that, they kind of establish this little bond between Tuvok and Neelix. And by bond, what I mean is Neelix is super into getting to know him. Very friendly, a really awkward hug between the two. And Tuvok really could uh, could probably handle never seeing this guy again. My One of my favorite lines of the whole episode, Tuvok just kind of staring off a little bit, not quite at Neelix, just says, Perhaps you would care for a bath. To which Neelix responds, A what? Back in the X-Files room, Ensign Kim and Torres are getting to know each other a little bit. It's a very Maquis versus Starfleet kind of thing here. We learned that Torres is half Klingon. It's kind of what she blames all of her aggressive tendencies on. Well, Disney Dad comes back in. He lets Kim and Torres out of the room. And then he explains the Ocampa have been a subterranean race for about 500 generations. And that the caretaker provides everything for them. And in exchange, they take care of the people that the caretaker messes up, sends them over there and, uh, they help cure whatever they have. Well, actually they don't help that much at all. Disney dad here reveals that every person who's been through here before has died. Tuvok checks in on Neelix while he's bathing and absolutely gorging himself. Neelix shows his Fremen tendencies in a very Dune-like moment as he freaks out at being able to bathe in water. Neelix gives a little bit of instructions on on an encampment that'll probably lead to where Kim and Torres are and says they're going to need a lot of water for trading when they get there. This is a pretty fun start, especially compared to what we just saw in the transporter room to Tuvok and Neelix's relationship. They're talking about the replicator and how having water is not going to be an issue. Neelix says, Will it make me a uniform like yours? No, it most certainly will not. Awesome. 
Now we pick up. This is I love this episode because it gets so cinematic in moments. They did a lot of filming on location. And this is one of those moments. Janeway, uh, Janeway Paris, Tuvok, and Chakotay with Neelix beam down. They run into this group called the Kazon Ogla. And apparently they run this area. They capture them. They freak out. And then Neelix is able to kind of chill everybody out. Hey, just be cool. He wants to meet with the leader. Janeway beams down two huge containers of water to show them that they're serious. At this point, the Kazon leader guy, Jabin, points out an Okampa prisoner that we have, and he says that there is no way to get down to the Okampa. The caretaker has sealed all openings. And this is where business really starts to pick up, and you got to start questioning where Neelix's motives lie. He says, hey, here's this water. We'll give you this water for your worthless Okampan. Suddenly, he runs over to the girl and says, my dearest, didn't I promise I'd save you? He blasts the water and has Janeway beam them away. They all go up safely to Voyager. We cut back over to the Okampas that have been taking care of Kim and Torres. Disney Mom gives us a little bit of exposition, and she says the caretaker has been increasing the energy supply sent to them, and they have enough right now to last them for five years. And then she agrees to help Kim and Torres escape, possibly through a hole in the security barrier. Back up on Voyager, the emergency medical hologram is... Please state the nature of the medical emergency. He's treating Kess. That's the Ocompan that we met down on the planet. He tells everybody to leave as Tuvok and Neelix are arguing. That's a theme we're going to get used to. Janeway shuts off the EMH and tells him to shut up. Kess explains how to get down to her people. So then she, Janeway, Tuvok, and Neelix all beam down. We get to meet Kess's dad, some of his friends, and it turns out the Okampa can communicate telepathically. Kess makes the case that the caretaker has made the Okampa totally dependent on him. They've lost so many skills, so many talents. Kess defies that group, grabs Janeway and the crew, and says they're going to go and find their people. Little do they know, though, that their people are on the move. We see Kim and Torres climbing up a rickety stairwell in a cave. Kim's really struggling. Those sores that we saw in his arms and his chest are starting to spread. He's struggling quite a bit. He sits down and just, well, does a little bit of what we're starting to expect more and more from Ensign Kim. And whines and complains it's his very first mission and well he's just gonna die torres tries to help calm him down a little bit motivate him to move she reveals that she got through the second year of starfleet academy and they had an instructor in common so nice little common point for them to work off of Kess and the rest of the crew learned that kim and torres have escaped and now the array has gone from sending these energy pulses across to the Okampa and is now firing weapons to seal all of the conduits on the surface. Tuvok figures that at this point, the caretaker must be dying. He's trying to make sure that the Okampa are taken care of long after he's gone. Paris, Cass, and Neelix are chasing behind Torres and Kim, while Tuvok, Chakotay, and Janeway can't beam out. That was the whole plan. They go in pursuit. At this point, Janeway reaches out to Paris and directs him to find a breach. They have to beam out. He's not able to find a breach, so he, Kess, Neelix, make it out with, uh, with Torres and Kim. They get up to the surface. They're getting ready to beam up, but then Tom Paris says, Well, you know, wait a minute, i got to go back. I've got to get the rest of the crew, and Neelix runs back with him. Back on the stairwell, 
Chakotay's fallen and broken his leg. Janeway's able to get out, but Chakotay's stuck without any help. Paris and Neelix come down. Neelix helps Janeway get to the top. And then Paris looks at Chakotay and decides that he's going to help. Despite everything that's happened to them in the past, this is the moment Paris is going to be a good... Oh wait, never mind. Nope, nope, nope. Paris tells Chakotay that he's going to save his life so that his life will belong to him. Lots and lots of back and forth between the two of them with him finally saying if he has to die, he'll watch Paris go down with him. Okay, um, go ahead and hit the skip 15 second part here if you want, but we get pretty racist. Um, a little cr- way cringy on this one. So, uh, so go ahead and, uh, go ahead and, and, and skip right now. So Paris says that now his life is going to belong to him and asks, isn't that some kind of Indian custom? And then asks, isn't there some Indian trick where you can turn yourself into a bird and fly us out of here? <sighs> okay, you should be back now after skipping past that really cringy stuff. Ultimately, Paris, despite saying some horribly, horribly off color, even for 1995. Like, these are things he should not be saying. Anyway, okay, so Paris starting to show his true colors. He's loyal to this mission, and ultimately, he's loyal to the crew. Back up in space, we see the Voyager and the Maquis Raider, which for some reason I know is called the Valjean. I'm not sure where that came from, but if you watch Deep Space Nine, you'll see the connection between the Maquis and, uh, and Les Mis, so a little callback there. But they're heading to the Array to head off the Kazon. Janeway wants to go over and talk to the caretaker, but the Kazon have other ideas. They threaten to attack. And they do. And I tell you what, this looks fantastic. Really cool firefight between the two ships. Janeway and Tuvok eventually beam over while Chakotay's crew runs interference. Paris takes the con for Voyager. This is big. Tom Paris, who was brought on as an official observer, really just for the point of some intelligence and what he understood about the Maquis and Chakotay specifically. Well, now, Janeway has a need, right? She's got two teams, Voyager, Maquis, and she kind of needs a third. She needs a team that's going to go across to the Array, talk to the caretaker. She sees her available resources. Tom has really shown himself as somebody who can stand up and lead if need be. So she's using the resources she has available and she's using it based on the need that she and the crew have and on that person's performance. Tom has shown he can do this. That's an incredible point for any leader anywhere. You have to be able to assess your need and assess the performance of the people that work with you, your resources essentially, so you can use them appropriately when you need to. So Janeway and Tuvok get over to the array and they find Banjo Man. The caretaker. She pleads her case, says that he's got to send Voyager home. We learn in this that there is a second caretaker. It's left a long time ago, but it's another option. And the banjo man, or the caretaker, he's still playing the banjo at this point as far as I'm concerned. So he's still searching for a compatible uh, biological profile to replace him. Basically, he's looking for somebody to have kids with. And that's what happened to Kim and Torres and the many, many others that the Ocampa had taken care of. Janeway at this moment shows that leadership technique, that leadership instinct that she has. She sees this being 
It's in a really bad way. It's carrying a lot of guilt because of what's happened to the Ocampa because its partner has left it and she desperately needs this very self-focused being to look at her and her crew, do what it has to do to send them home. She, she really came down to his level. Like she actually squats down, meets him eye to eye. She tells personal stories, uh, meets him exactly where he's at. She can, she's shown us at this point, she can be an imposing person. She exudes confidence and everything. And she shows some real vulnerability here that I think eh, gives the opportunity, gives the moment that the caretaker can consider maybe sending Voyager and their crew home. Back up in space, this big Kazon Raider, this big gunship has come into this, into the scene. And the effects on this look great. Like there's moments where in Star Trek, oftentimes we're stuck on this two dimensional plane despite being in space. And there's some awesome moments where they show like they're really, really utilizing that 3D plane of existence. Either way, things are not going well. So Chakotay decides he's going to send his crew back to Voyager, just him on the Maquis Raider, and he's basically going to go on a suicide run. Sets himself on a collision course right for the middle of this ship. He's communicating with the Voyager crew and kind of talking some trash in here. You know, if you guys can do your jobs, we'll be in good shape. Waits till the very, very last possible second, runs the Raider into the ship, takes down the gunship, takes down the Maquis Raider. There's a lot happening in this moment right now. One of the big things is Tuvok comes to the realization he doesn't need the caretaker to send them back home. He just needs access to the array. On the array, the caretaker sets a self-destruct sequence because he needs to be sure the Kazon can't access his systems. And with the gunship crashing into the array, all the holographic projections stop. We get to see the actual real caretaker, who apparently is a beanbag jellyfish chair. He dies pleading with Janeway and Tuvok to save the Ocampa from the Kazon. Tuvok, at this point, offers to activate the program, sending Voyager back and getting everything back to normal. But Janeway, Janeway's concerned with the Ocampa. They've gotten in this situation. She understands the situation they've been put in, and she wants to do what she can to protect them. Tuvok says that the Prime Directive would apply here and that they should not be getting involved. One of the hallmarks of a good leader, of a strong leader, is knowing when it's appropriate to push back. Rules are are meant to guide, and they apply most all of the time, but there are situations where those rules don't apply, and a good leader knows how to identify those moments. Now, there's going to be people who feel otherwise, but ultimately Jane Wade makes the decision that in this case, the rule doesn't apply. The prime directive in this case doesn't do what, they sh- what it should. She pushes back against Tuvok, ultimately decides to go after the Kazon and the Array. She says this with so much confidence. She so believes in her decision. It is what is authentic to her and what she sees the mission of Starfleet being. And that is, she is not willing to trade the lives of the Ocampa for convenience. Think about that. What is it as a leader? What opportunities do you have where you can trade something that really matters because it feels easy, because it's convenient? Is it having those one-on-one conversations with your subordinates? Is it 
giving feedback when it's difficult to give that those, those difficult conversations. Ultimately, those are convenient to not do, but we're trading these other people surviving and thriving for that convenience. In a moment that really defines what Voyager is going to be about, Janeway gets back up onto Voyager. She gets the Kazon on the screen, and she lets them know that she is going to destroy the array. I can and I will. She's taking charge in this situation. Torres freaks out. She can do the math. She knows that if we destroy the array, they're going to be stranded here. Chakotay jumps right in, cuts her off, stands up for Janeway, stating that she is the captain. And an incredible visual. This thing looks awesome. Voyager blows up the array. So now there's a lot of loose ends to tie up. We're stranded 70,000 light years away from home. Janeway gets right to it. Neelix and Kess offer their services, joining the crew. Uh, advisors, guides, traders, and well, we'll see how it works out. But Janeway, Janeway accepts. She's willing to take risks on people. Again, she, she identifies that there's a need and that she's not going to be able to fill that need with her existing resources. She takes that risk. Oh, what a risk it turns out. But brings on Neelix and Kess. She meets with all the crew and she invites the Maquis to join them. She appoints Chakotay as the first officer, gives a field commission to Tom Paris, and she's very formal. When she does it, she stands up, she shakes hands, and immediately becomes very warm and refers to him as Tom. She understands what a big deal this is. Recognition of your people, recognition of your teams is incredible. It is so important and it is so powerful. Janeway's gotten to know Tom Paris over the course of this episode. She's kind of learned the things that are important to him and what will speak to him. He used to be in Starfleet. Um, he was, uh, you know, his dad is an admiral in there. This is something that is important to him and, and, and a part of who he is. So she understands that by giving him this field commission, she's essentially erasing that past, that time he was in the penal colony when he was a criminal and is accepting him formally as part of the crew. Then she gives this great motivational speech to tie off the episode. It's very real. It's very authentic. She says, We're alone in an uncharted part of the galaxy. We've already made some friends here and some enemies. We have no idea of the dangers we're going to face. But one thing is clear. Both crews are going to have to work together if we're to survive. That's why Commander Chakotay and I have agreed that this should be one crew. A Starfleet crew. And as the only Starfleet vessel assigned to the Delta Quadrant, we'll continue to follow our directive. To seek out new worlds and explore space. But our primary goal is clear. Even at maximum speeds, it would take 75 years to reach the Federation. But I'm not willing to settle for that. There's another entity like the caretaker out there somewhere who has the ability to get us there a lot faster. We'll be looking for her. And we'll be looking for wormholes, spatial rifts, or new technologies to help us. Somewhere along this journey. We'll find a way back. Mr. Paris? 
Set a course for home. And with that, Caretaker, the first episode of Voyager, comes to a close. All in all, I feel like this was a great episode. We're going to see as we go through this podcast that pilots aren't necessarily Star Trek's strong suit, at least not to this point. I feel like they did a great job on this one. The cinematic approach, the the location filming gave it this really big and important feeling. They uh, did a lot to establish the characters. There's some things, though. I mean, let's not pretend that all of us haven't watched Voyager and we don't know what's coming. How cool would it have been if it was Tom Paris and Torres that the caretaker took instead of Ensign Kim and Torres? Yeah, it would have been kind of fun. Command codes verified. So let's take a moment to really analyze uh, the, the two people that we've come to see that will be our leaders throughout this series. We've got Chakotay as the first officer and Janeway as the captain. We will, of course, in future episodes, dive into other people as they demonstrate some of their leadership qualities. But for, for this long pilot on this, we really want to dive into the two people we're going to see pave the road. Now, Chakotay, at this point, what I've seen is he's very self-centered. He pushes his crew without listening, and he turns this around near the end. But it still remains about him. So what we saw in the beginning was him barking orders at his crew. Let's contrast that with what we saw from Janeway. So crisis situation to crisis situation when that displacement wave comes around. Chakotay's barking orders, telling people to get out of his way, to give him control, and he's telling them exactly what to do. Janeway asks questions, steers people to make their own decisions, and allows them to do their jobs. At no point does she tell anyone to give photon torpedo command to herself. Now, later on, we see a little bit of a twist in uh, in his approach when he tells Tom Paris to go on without him, when uh, when he puts himself in harm's way, when he decides to drive the raider into the Kazon ship. These are selfless acts that show that he's willing to sacrifice himself for that greater good, but I really feel, my opinion, these were done in a way to bring more attention to himself, to show what a hero he was. Hero mentality is a very dangerous thing to get into as a leader. If you are the hero, if you are Superman or Supergirl, and you've got the cape on, and you are bulletproof, that means your team needs you. It doesn't put any value on them, It doesn't build them up or set them up for success in the future. What it does, it lets them stand behind you and be very successful on your back and your back alone. Now let's look at Janeway. Janeway is very by the book. She's very experienced as a leader. A key thing that I like to employ when I talk to people about leadership is the concept of adapting to a situation. You can't always take the same approach in the same scenarios, with the same people. In this episode, we see her attempt to connect to people on a very personal level when she first meets up with Tom Paris in the penal colony and tells stories about her connection to his dad, Admiral Paris, when she talks to Tuvok and makes that personal connection about having spoken to his family. She expresses a desire to get to know her crew more, talking about Harry Kim and the conversation she had with his mom about his clarinet, because of course Harry Kim plays a clarinet. 
And then, of course, when she talked to the caretaker. I mean, I love that scene so much because she actually physically crouched down to be at the same level of him. Just the the thinking that went into how to meet these people, where they were at, at their level. It's incredible. And in each situation, she was able to move the dial in a way that ultimately helped people perform better. In the case of the caretaker, while she didn't get her way, she was given options that she didn't have prior to that. Now, we also saw her in times of crisis. She was able to bark orders, but while she was barking orders out to people, she would still follow up and get questions answered from them and steer them to the answer. Ultimately, she was very effective in very different situations. Another piece that's going to make Janeway really stand out from some of the other captains is that in all of these situations, she maintained a formality and a professionalism above all. We did see a small crack in this when she confided in Tuvok, but that's got to be expected. She was being super authentic and super real at that time. It's important that when you're working with a coach or talking to a confidant, that you are authentic with them, that you are real, and that you're vulnerable with them. What I liked about this episode, though, is that it showed that despite having a coach, despite having someone who gives you that information, that other point of view, you don't always have to take that advice. So in this case, Tuvok, her closest confidant, said there's a prime directive. We cannot get involved with the situation between the Okampa and the Kazon. Despite that, she still moved forward with her own choice. And a cool thing there is Tuvok, despite being the one that gave the advice to the contrary, got on board afterwards. In this episode, Extreme Crisis fueled our look into Janeway's leadership abilities, and I think she did really well. She was very adaptive in every situation. Personally, I'm curious about how sustainable her approach is going to be, specifically the professional distance that she's maintaining. Curious how sustainable that'll be over a period of 75 years. Now next week, on the Starfleet Leadership Academy, we're going to dive into the next generation and counter at Farpoint. We'll be looking at Picard. We're going to meet him for the first time. Commander Riker. All the greats that we've known and loved. This podcast, as we continue down, we're going to be exploring all six of the current, as of 2018, series that are out there. I'm kind of broke up the order a little bit, really for my for my for my own entertainment. I don't know if I could sit and just watch everything. I want to feel like I'm I'm moving through, not just Voyager, Voyager, Voyager. Plus, it's a cool opportunity for us as a community to look at all the leaders in the various series and kind of compare them against each other. If you want to reach out, you can catch me on all the social media at Jeff T Aiken, J-E-F-F. T-A-K-I-N. That's the Facebook, that's the Twitter, that's the Instagram to keep up on cool stuff from from uh, this, the podcast. I run fun Trek polls and Trek tournaments on there if you want to dive in. Other leadership quotes and whatnot. You can, of course, uh, find us where you found us on Apple Podcasts, Google, everywhere else that you find them. Please share us with a friend if, uh, if you enjoyed the episode. And I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. 
Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour. 